lots and lots of spoilers. Let's see. According to this frayed, stained map, I need to stop right at this point, twirl around three times, and press the three eyes of Vog Sprouts the Frog God in exactly the right combination. Got it! Now, I hop forward on one foot five steps, yank this tree branch three times, and wizard lashings of ginger beer! I have found my way into the hidden tomb of Max Mike Movies! What's old is new again as we start a brand, well, new series. That sure was 1981. We're going to be looking at films from, you guessed it, 1981, a series that was partially created through the help of you, dear listeners, as well as some non-listeners who aren't hearing me say this, but, uh, well, what the hell. Thanks! Leading us on this expedition into the far-flung dingy past is that intrepid explorer and despoiler of spoils, Manitoba Max Levine. Swing that whip, Max! Ow! Damn it! <laughs> ow, 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 stingy. You were supposed this to This is practice. hard! <laughs> uh, yeah, and I am that jocular jock, flyer of all things that, well fly mission master mike loose together we will delve into the hidden treasures of long past 1981 and bring those sparkling lovelies to you platinum yes platinum no. <clears throat> this week the first of a three film series raiders of the lost ark three films three. Wait, that's it wait but wasn't Just there three right three but first we have that pesky poll question to deal with well it's not pesky it's actually one of my favorite parts of the show wait Pesky's Pole, that's over there in uh, Fenway Park. No. <laughs> Last week we asked, what historical inaccuracy in a movie, whether it's narrative, costume-based, technological, or other, really hacks you off every time you see it? And who, boy, Hollywood, did you have <laughs> some answers? Jess Miller leaps in with, quote, does the entirety of Braveheart count? End quote. Yes. Yes, it does. <laughs> Ouch. <laughs> Apparently it does, as other mention others mention it as well. Thanks, Jess. Dave offers a few things. First is, quote, Deer Hunter is a ludicrous presentation of the Vietnam War. I don't have trouble with minor details, though. I have trouble with the movie as a whole, end quote. Later, he adds, quote, I have a pet peeve about seppuku. Who doesn't? Uh, in samurai movies, when the junior people are always threatening or offering to kill themselves over minor mistakes, it seems improbable, and I feel the scriptwriter is just being lazy. It's even worse if the senior people treat seppuku lightly. If you break one of these plates, I will order you to slit your stomach! <laughs> Clearly, it is bad management policy to threaten one's subordinates with meaningless suicide on a regular basis. You know, but maybe once a year, just to keep on their toes. Oh, Dave didn't say well, that. Well, I, I uh, do West that with Mike every day. <laughs> Western writers bandy seppuku about for atmosphere, but Japanese writers do it too, end quote. Thanks for all that, Dave. That's good to know. Seppuku, it's not for every day. <laughs> 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 yeah. Agatha Gasparoni offered, quote, As a history teacher, there are many, oh boy, strap in. Oh dear. Kilts in Braveheart. Scots didn't yeah. wear kilts until the 15 to 1600s. Also, the blue face paint was completely fictional. I thought that was supposed to be woad. Isn't woad? Yeah, but that was, that was, was the, the Celts. Druids. Yeah. 
Mary, I'm guessing it's Mary Queen of Scots. She just wrote Mary of Scots accent is basically yeah. in basically any movie she's featured in. She was born in Scotland but moved to France at a young age to be raised there with her future husband, Francois. She lived there until his death when he, she was about 18. She would have spoken French and spoken English with a French accent. May we? Paul Revere's ride in any movie or show. He wasn't as important yeah. as people make him out to be. Thanks, Nathaniel Hawthorne. He also would have said the regulars are coming, as the colonists would not have made a difference between themselves and the British soldiers. They still considered themselves British at the time. That's a point. And here's a big one. Polkahontas, that wayworld Polish girl. Oh, oh no. Polkahontas was 13-year-olds <laughs> when she met John Smith, an adult man, and they never fell in love. Smith's capture and attempted execution was more of a theater on Powhatan's part to demonstrate his authority over English settlers. I could go on and on, but those are the ones that really came to me off the bat, end quote. Well, as a history Wait, teacher... Is he hmm? Are they suggesting she couldn't paint with all the colors of the wind? <sighs> Your beautiful body. Uh, I'd say, uh, as a history teacher, Agatha has really good perspective, so thank you for that. Yeah, yeah. Charles, I'm not taking this seriously. Why are you, Forsyth, posted, quote, Abraham Lincoln vampire hunter glossed over the fact that some va vampires fought for the Union, end quote. That is a damn good point. Yeah, but see, he leaves out the many Union werewolves, which is how I know he's not taking this seriously. Well, later he added, quote, seriously, Bohemian Rhapsody and its egregious modifications oh. to the backstory behind the live aid concert, end quote. We and on that count, that. he has a definite point. Lots yeah. of stuff made up there. Thanks, Charles. Deweese posits, I love the idea of the weasel positing anything, but Deweese <laughs> posits, <laughs> quote, exactly just how old is Magneto supposed to be? Dude's still around yeah. in days of future yeah. past, and he's a Holocaust survivor, end quote. Um, yeah, okay, that's uh, uh, kind of stuff. what we meant. <laughs> I mean, at least it's not connected to the Star Wars. Blah, 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 you know. Thank you, Weasel. <clears throat> Noted Egyptologist Steve Harvey said, quote, anything set in or about ancient Egypt ever, end quote. Oh, Interest wow. Interestingly, nothing, now, nothing works? <laughs> well, so this is not Steve Harvey who you see on TV. This is Steve Harvey, actually, somebody we went to high school with who is a noted Egyptologist. This is a Steve Harvey who actually knows things. Right, as opposed to pretending to know things that are written out yeah. on cards. They're written out on cards for him! <laughs> He's not the guy who does Family Feud. No. Yes. Interestingly, he added later, quote, A colleague of mine has often been hired to make sure that at least the spoken ancient Egyptian dialogue is based on the actual evidence. For example, in Stargate the film, end quote, I am amazed wow. that anything was accurate Seriously? in Stargate. <laughs> so thanks, Steve. All right, wow. I got to take a deep breath for this one. <clears throat> okay. Haley Paulson has really interesting notes about costuming. Quote, the trope that never fails to make me grind my teeth is the tight-laced corset scene, any historical piece that makes a point of how uncomfortable corsets are and how women can't breathe in them and how they lace them up so tightly to get their waists impossibly small and so on gets right under my skin. Stays slash corsets were normal, functional, foundational garments which supported the bust and promoted good posture and rarely narrowed the waist more than a few inches. In fact, in most cases, they they the desired silhouette was achieved by padding outward rather than cinching inward. The continued inclusion of scenes in which their use is implied to be frivolous or an example of the extremes to which fashion pushes women is at best misinformed and at worst a continuation of the misogyny men have di directed at women for participating in fashion trends for centuries. Either way, it annoys me, end quote. 
And if that wasn't enough cool knowledge, she came back with, quote, I'm sorry, but I'm popping back in to add another huge costuming pet peeve, and that is the horrendous dingy gray-brown color palette of every single thing set in the Middle Ages. We have so many illustrations from that period that show how much people in that time period adored gaudy, flashy color, even the lower classes. Yet every period piece seems to have decided that the entire population was clad in colorless, rough-spun sacks, end quote. Sacks. Uh, all... All very cool to know. Thanks, Haley. Max? Yeah, but there is some evidence to suggest that is the case, especially not just the lower class, but the actual poor, because homespun and wool didn't hold dye. You, you couldn't color them. Why can't you dye wool? They do it all the time. Now they do. Bull. But it's actually very challenging because of the high fat content in wool. If you would like to challenge Max, you may write him directly at... <laughs> Yeah. yeah. See, I happen to know that Haley, also being a uh, uh, having history as an interest, lives with a historian. So I'm gonna I'm gonna give her that one. But okay, I will also take Max's point to mind. Um, I don't see how all those movies could be wrong. Do you? <laughs> 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 Lastly, our frozen friend from the North, Vince, gave us this on the website. That's a cue for extra bumpy bunks. Just saying. Quote. Pocahontas, oh dear, really pissed oh dear. me off. She was a 10 or 11, not an adult, was basically kidnapped, forced to change her religion to Christianity, married off to some guy other than Smith, and died at 21 to 22, not to mention the peace she allegedly brokered led to disease-infected blankets used for genocide. Really, there's a bit more time in there, but it's too serious a historical story to turn into a romantic Disney fantasy, in my opinion. He also adds, I saw the film The Messenger about Joan of Arc while researching for a play with a friend who had done tons of research into her life, and the film was so far off, terrible and dull, one friend stood up about 30 minutes in, lit his lighter, and told the rest of the people in the theater, if we burn her now, we can stop watching this movie, end quote. <laughs> wow. <laughs> An extreme reaction, perhaps, but apparently dead on. Thanks, Vince. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, I don't see why. I think it was a pretty good, uh, a pretty realistic uh Depiction of how Joan of Arc kung fu'd her way through the English <laughs> troops. <laughs> and wasn't she also like 13 or 14 and military? Yeah, Let's she, see how to put was this. Wasn't. <laughs> yeah, yeah. She was a little girl, basically. Well, there you have it. Who We're... heard voices. Yeah. <laughs> what? What? What's that, Bumpy? Uh, <laughs> burn France? Uh, we're peeved about historical inaccuracies. But how about you, Max? This was your question. What inaccuracies just drive you up the nut tree? One big thing is every Shakespearean movie, every Shakespearean production, everybody uses the BBC English accent. That accent did not exist in Shakespeare's time, and the language he used wasn't written to use it. The best approximation anyone has of about of the London area, Stratford accents of the 16th and 17th century is probably more like today's North Country. The rounder vowels, <laughs> the deeper sounds. What if Flayrod's out of skew on treadle? Yep, trouble at mill, <laughs> Flayrod's come askew on treadle. Not quite that bad, but the very, very different. And, and this is entirely the fault of the BBC. Not the Royal Shakespeare Company, nobody else. It's the BBC because they came up with that accent. They designed it specifically to be understandable to as many English people as possible. So now everyone believes every English person ever spoke that way. And they really didn't. For you know, a thousand years they've spoken that way for maybe 50. 
Now, see, now I want to see a Shakespeare production done by Yorkshiremen. I think that would be hilarious. It would probably be a lot. It would be a lot closer. And the way would the light words through under were, yonder window breaks. <laughs> I think it'd be fun. Well, and then you're turning into Bob and Doug McKenzie there. No, oh, that's what light is. <laughs> I'd see that oh, too. <laughs> oh, Tibble, you hoser. <laughs> oh, get out. Hey, you shouldn't jump from the balcony. Oh, she's going to jump. Hey, no, she's not. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah, Hollywood, you know, you're welcome. <laughs> what about you? What's uh, what's historical accuracy, that inaccuracy that bugs you in the movies? Mine's just a broad one. The fact that apparently doesn't matter where anybody is from, if it's not the United States or Britain, they have a British accent, especially yeah. if they're from ancient Rome. Welcome to Roman times. <laughs> or, never mind if they're from another planet. Right. It's British, 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 British. And it's like, no, no, no. Let's hear an Italian accent. Let's hear a Swedish accent. Let's hear an actual Russian accent. You know, not moose and squirrel. <laughs> Hello, chips. It's-a me, Mario. What? <laughs> yeah. So, just, yeah, yeah, that. I mean, there's, there's tons of other things, but that one is just always... What? And it's the BBC again, because I grew up watching I, Claudius, which is an amazingly... If you want to see really tight British acting, watch I, Claudius, because it's yeah. amazing. But you will grow up thinking that all people in ancient Rome sounded like current-day Brits, because that's the way it goes. Yeah, yep. The other thing that bugs me, it's, it's not as much... It's, I guess, historical, but it's also technological, and it comes up in this movie that oh. we're talking about. rut row The fact that these thousand-year-old mechanisms, <laughs> these booby traps, these incredibly elaborate systems to keep out people... All are in perfect working <laughs> order when the hero stumbles upon them. And no! <laughs> it would be like, oh no, I've stepped on the lever. Thrack! Well, that broke. <laughs> oh, that fell apart. Ah, that thing fell. You know, a dart falls out of the wall and lands near your foot, maybe. Yeah. Oh no, poison darts. Yeah, the poison would still be effective. Also, Max said booby. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, I can see that. And, of course, we will be talking about that later in the show. But yeah. thank you again for your answers. This week yeah, we have a new cool. question. We, we we would dearly, dearly like to know. What, Possibly even elkly. No, just dearly. Acopoly or antelopoly? Oh, Bumpy, get ready. Uh, <laughs> what second banana, side character, or flunky do you wish got their own movie? A couple of weeks ago, we noted that Sam Gerard from The Fugitive managed this feat with U.S. Marshals. But who would you like to see move from second to top billing? Let us know in the places that we will dig up at the end of the episode. But right now, we got Indy Jones to get back to. The show. Trivia. Budget. Yes. Man, movies were cheaper back then. $18 million. Oh, good Lord. That's That'd all. That'd be like one actor's salary now. Yeah. But the real treasure was in the take. $390 million. Good Lord. No wonder they made two sequels. Yeah, just two. And since Lucas <laughs> took 40% off the top, well, that made for some very happy movie people, namely Lucas and Spielberg. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, oh squinty-eyed fan, there are indeed carvings of C-3PO and R2-D2 <laughs> in the Well of Souls, which proves that aliens built the pyramids. <laughs> oh, we knew that. <laughs> Most of the cast and crew got sick while shooting in Tunisia, which probably led to the infamous Indy shooting the swordman scene. Except director Steven Spielberg, because he never, never travels anywhere without his case of, do you know this? 
No. Spaghetti hose. <laughs> Real? I thought you were gonna say insure or <laughs> nope. Spaghetti hose for the wind. fish. Spaghettios. Okay. So when you okay. when you're traveling abroad, make sure to bring a case of spaghettios. Sure. Why bother sampling the local cuisine or any of that foreign muck when you can have Chef Boyardee? <laughs> An airplane ran over Harrison Ford's leg. What is it with this guy and leg injuries? Ah! And what is it with him and airplanes? It only tore a ligament, so of course Ford just stapled wow. his pants back on and kept filming. <laughs> of course he did. How can this guy still walk? I don't know. He did most of his stunts in this film. Um, uh. The exploding head of Belloc, that sent the film over the edge into an R rating. Seriously, that's what did it. So the wow. production company put a fire in front of it, which made, all, made it all the better as far as the censors were concerned. So remember... If Wait, you have the somebody exploding, faces didn't do it. Just <laughs> nope. the, the, the expo- nope. Oh my good lord! Just remember, if you're getting an R and you want a PG, just put a fire. It's fine. <laughs> this is Alfred Molina's first screen role, and probably his last. No what a hack. <laughs> Pity he doesn't last long. He should have thrown Indy the whip. Yep. Look close at that golden idol, and you'll see it's actually a fertility goddess, and it's in the process of giving birth to what oh. we can't say. Oh. Did not know that? Wow. There's a no. little head coming. Yeah. Oh. Yes, there is. I thought it, I just thought it was a Horgon for a Horgon from uh, uh Riza. Yeah, sure. And that Indy was looking for Jamaharong. It's That's the for ex- you Star Trek nerds. <laughs> it's the result of the Horgon. Yeah. Frank Welker, longtime voice behind Freddie Jones' Scooby-Doo, provided the sounds of the monkey. He'd take this experience <laughs> with him when he was hired to do the same for the monkey in Aladdin. That you're going to say in uh, uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Probably. Probably. Yes, it's true. This movie was nominated for Best Picture, the only Indy Jones movie to be so honored. It didn't win. I probably didn't need to say that. The big boulder in the opening of the film did not provide its own voice. That task was completed by a Honda Civic driving over gravel. (laughs) Spielberg and Lucas, two names that spell big box office returns, right? Not then. Well, Hollywood didn't think so, and nearly every studio rejected this project. Even Paramount had to be convinced to do it. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, there was 1941 is is in there somewhere, too, so... Yes, and Howard the Duck. Yeah. Uh, They did name the dog Indiana. Well, George and Marsha Lucas had. That's where the name came from. There's also a moment when Marsha drove up to the family home with the dog in the passenger seat. Thinking it looked like a pilot and co-pilot, Lucas would be inspired to invent Han and Chewie. (laughs) So sure, we named the dog Indiana after your father. <laughs> <laughs> Stolen from that damned dirty ape. Seems that a key scene from this movie was, shall we say, inspired by a Charlton Heston movie, Secret of the Incas. There is a moment where he finds a hidden map room and, using a shaft of sunlight, uses a crystal to find the exact location of a secret treasure. Well, other. Tributes included the huge boulder, flying dart, a tunnel flooded with gushing water, which would show up in the second Andy Jones movie. These all came from some Carl Barks Donald Duck comics from the 1950s. Both Lucas oh. and Spielberg were big fans. I thought they came from like those old Ryder Haggard stories. Yep, you know, apparently. <laughs> Donald huh? Duck. <laughs> For reasons of clarity... The title of this movie has been more or less changed to Indiana Jones and the Raiders of the Lost Ark because otherwise uh. we wouldn't know it was connected or something right yeah if you count the monkey the body count for this movie stands at 64 grizzly 
But remember, put a fire in front of it, and it's a PG family treat. Um, See any grizzlies? <laughs> there is a fan theory that states Indy Jones' presence in this movie amounts to nothing. If he'd not been there or involved, the Nazis would still have got the Ark, would still have opened it, and likely melted into little wobbly bits. Indy's well, that's big, actually a good point. It is. Indy's big contribution is getting the thing back to the U.S. at the end, which we will discuss later in this film. Well, uh, show. he's also the one who actually finds it. They were looking in the wrong place. There was no evidence they would have found it. But they already knew where to go. <laughs> Remember, because they were talking about Abner Doubleday. If they could have found Marion, <laughs> if he could have found <laughs> Marion, they, they would have. What? Yeah. Abner Doubleday, sorry. <laughs> yes, <laughs> yes Indiana Jones did in fact invent baseball. <laughs> Uh, Ravenwood, Doubleday, whatever. Yeah, I had a booster shot, so sue me. Uh, the real, in quotes, please note the quotes, the real Ark does not hold the Ten Commandments, but their copy as the first set was broken. It also has a bowl of manna and a flowering staff owned by Aaron, which played a part in the Battle of Jericho. Also, besides not looking into it, you're not supposed to touch it either. A supposition from ancient astronaut theorists, a phrase which makes me want to hurt somebody, suggests that this has to do with the metals that make up the arc creating and holding an electric charge. Sure, why not? Yeah. There is tons of trivia involved in this movie. In the interest of intergalactic peace, we're going to stop here unless Max has some more tidbits to, um, tid. <laughs> do you have you any... Do, do you that no one ever, the, well, the arc is mentioned several times in the Bible and in a couple of other texts, so a something like it may have existed... Nobody knows what happened to it. Mm. It's been battered or it's been grabbed around by like 12 different civilizations in the last 3,000 years. The most interesting one to me, I saw a documentary about this 20-something years ago, is supposedly there's a group of people who can track its path all the way to this very small chapel in Ethiopia. And to this mm. day, there is a fence around it and guards. And the most interesting thing is there's only one person allowed in the same room as the Ark. And that person tends to develop deep cataracts, uh, as if one would get from potentially from radiation or something. Um, again, it's interesting. I don't buy it, but it's interesting. Because those people believe it, and they won't let anybody in, and so on and so forth. But, mm. cool. Now, the plot. Indiana Jones. A man barely alive. Oh, wait, wait, wait. What? <laughs> Yeah, we did that last Six million dollars, we'll rebuild Indy. Anyway, it's the late 1930s. Deep in the tomb of some nearly forgotten culture, Indiana Jones, played by the gruff and tumble Harrison Ford, is seeking a golden idol which he plans to steal from said culture so he can bring it back and put it in a nice white people museum. But alas, he is thwarted by many traps and tribulations left by the idol's owners, and he is pursued by his arch-nemesis, Belloc, a rival archaeologist. The idol taken from him, Indy runs away, pursued by poison dart and arrow-shooting locals. Whisked back to his college where he tries to impart the serious aspects of the science of archaeology... <laughs> Sorry, I knew I wasn't going to get through that. To his students, he's pulled aside by his old friend Marcus Brody, Seems some government types want to talk to Dr. Jones about something called the Ark of the Covenant. The Nazis are gaga, a real term, about the thing and are devoting a lot of resources towards finding its location and claiming it as their own. Why, sure, Indy's heard of this thing. His old mentor was obsessed with it. Could he pick up the trail and try to stop the Nazis' nefarious scheme 
ask the nice government people. Why, yes, says Indy, and off he goes. First stop is a bar in Nepal where his old flame Marion, played by Karen Allen, is making a lousy living selling hooch in the snow. But look out, the Nazis aren't far behind, and they want the same mystical ornament that Jones wants that will apparently lead them to the exact location of the Ark. After a fight, Indy manages to get the amulet and Marion out of Nepal and on the way to Adventure. It's Egypt, home of all things Egyptian. And Indy must once again go up against Belloc and his new pals, the Nazis, to try to beat them to the hidden location of the titular Lost Ark. I just like saying titular. <laughs> Can Indy find the Ark first? Yes! And keep it out of the hands of the Nazis? No! Who will be the final owner of the Ark? Can it be the deciding factor for World War II? And what about Dr. Bob? Find out next week. I mean, at the end. <laughs> Where's that voice come from? The lowdown. So, yeah. obvious and silly question, but Max, did you see this when it came out? Everybody did. Many, many times. <laughs> you were required by law. You're not supposed I, to see yeah, it. You're it supposed was... to like it. Yeah. Do you remember I your I reaction? Think I, saw it, I think I saw it the week it came out. Okay. And do you remember your reaction to it? I was I was a kid. I was blown away. Yeah. See, I thought it was amazing. I was like, wow, this is like as exciting as Star Wars and there's no laser swords. And um, <laughs> no pod races or trade no, negotiations. We, we didn't know about <laughs> that yet. I know. I know. Um. You know, my mom saw it first. She came home, and she was really excited about it, and she was telling me all about it. It's like, you really need to go. I'll take you to go see it, blah, 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 blah. And this kind of adventure film had really fallen by the wayside. I want to say that the last time these sort of things were popular were probably the 50s and 60s. Maybe. Um, and luckily for us, it was spawn a whole bunch of copycat films, such as Alan Quartermain and the... Cities City of, of Boredom or something, yeah. Which was a remake of another film that was a remake of another film. Um, yeah. And Romancing the Stone, which I remember happening, but I don't hey, remember. That one was that one was kind of fun, and that was that played up more the romance angle than the adventure angle. Yeah. Uh, but the film, like, w I would say that most of the, the modern audience of 1981 was coming at this kind of cold because we again this type of film we'd be we were dealing with star wars so we're doing a lot more science fiction there was a little bit of fantasy but like period pieces really weren't a thing world war ii films had stopped being a thing for a long time again probably since the 50s and 60s maybe early 70s so most of the people were coming to this little cold and we get this kind of perfect opening that really tells us everything we need to know about it. and he doesn't even talk much in the whole we don't even see it. We don't see his face before we, the first before he, use, he uses the whip before we ever see his face, and we see his hat first. Even the just the opening shot, the slow dissolve of the Paramount logo into a mountain that almost perfectly matches it, is it, you immediately know. Okay, this is this thing different, and uh, it is very. It, it does feel intentionally dated. They're mm. very careful to make it look like it's 1936. Yeah. They do a good job with that. Well, where there's a whip, there's a way. Um, and then we get, you know, intrigue. So he's going into this old temple, uh, the secrets of the old temple, or whatever that Nickelodeon show was with the gack in it and stuff. And we don't even get into it before we find out that he's going to be betrayed by one of his, his two uh, handlers, uh, baggage Sherpas. people. Sherpas. Yeah, no, wrong yeah. area, but... Yeah, he... Yep. But then, of course, he does something that has bothered me since I saw the film. What's that? That damn sandbag. 
Oh, yes. <laughs> it's, first, it's fine. Yeah. But then when we get inside, it's like, <sighs> it's a gold idol. You're going to need a lot more. You're taking sand out. Okay. <laughs> yeah, that's a gold idol the size of a softball. That thing's got to weigh like 20 pounds, 30 yeah. pounds. There's not, you need a much bigger bag full of, you know, unless it was like super densium sand. <laughs> and this is one of those, in, those. And it doesn't work. Well, it doesn't, to, to be fair. Uh, but the fact that he seems to think it's going to is sort of annoying. Because if, if, you, if you stick with that detail, it's like, wow, this indie's pretty dumb. I don't know, he's not going to get very far. But of course, it's one of those stories that even when there's little things like this, it's told well enough that we kind of don't care. Yeah. 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 It, it was, the first time I saw it, I did, that didn't bother me at all. I was mostly like, oh, that's really clever. He's trying to balance out the weight. It wasn't that, hang on, that, isn't, that couldn't be even close. Although, again, you think, well, <clears throat> how old is this thing? How old is this mechanism? How weight-sensitive is it? I mean, this thing isn't measuring down to the milligram. Well, it's nice also that the uh, local Hovitos come in and dust once a week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that is one very clean lost, uh, lost temple. Yeah. Um, we, uh, we talked about this a few weeks ago when we brought up music. You know, John Williams had been in the business for many, many years because we've talked about the fact that he actually wrote theme songs to many 60s TV shows, um, not uh, uh, Lost in Space twice, did background yep. group music for that and Gilligan's Island, among other things. And he comes yep. out and he does Star Wars and everyone's like, oh my God, this is the, the, a big thing. The Indy Jones theme, I honestly think is just as good as Star Wars. It is so heroic and adventurous. Yeah. And so iconic. You hear it and you instantly know... Even the first time, that is like, oh, wow, this is like unapologetically over-the-top and melodramatic and awesome. Just like, hi, yeah, this is good guy music. This is music that is letting you know it's time to get excited. Yeah, and a lot of people don't know this, but there's actually words to the Indy Jones theme. Are there? Yes. Here, I'll, I'll, I'll do them for you. Indiana, oh, oh yeah, Indy Jones, Indiana, uh -huh. Indiana Jones. Those are the words. It's true. I don't believe you. <laughs> <laughs> this, there are a lot of movies where I kind of wish the music would back off and let me watch the film. This is not one of them. No, and again, that fits in with, uh, this is a, sort of a remake of those old you know, uh, uh, Gunga Din or uh, the original Lost Cities of Gold, even Tarzan, those old adventure movies, which had very loud, over-the-top music that was you know, very much telling you how you were supposed to feel. Yeah. And I think this, this does that without being quite as intrusive. No. Well, I think also this film is trying to be fun. It's not trying to be too serious. It's not trying to change your mind about anything. It's just... I, this, is a, this and the original Star Wars are two really good examples of pure escapism. That's all they're yes. about. They're not meant to be... You're not supposed to have fan theories that fill volumes. and You know what I mean? It's not like that. It's just supposed to be fun. Go and enjoy it. That's, and the music really helps. Funny, I knew a number of people who were in the anthropology slash archaeology <laughs> department at college. But okay, it's not for them. <laughs> yeah, no, it's funny. They, these people had very mixed feelings about Indiana Jones. I bet they On did. On the one hand, you know, how are you? They love the fact that it's making archaeology look cool and sexy and adventurous. On the other hand, he does everything <laughs> wrong. Everything <laughs> wrong. Yeah. No. Archaeologists don't work 
fast. They don't <laughs> rip things out of the ground. They don't shove dirt off of things. They carefully and precisely move a few grains at a time. They brush things. They are careful because they are dealing with things that are, you know, thousands of years old and are about to fall apart if you look at them too hard. They don't shove them in backpacks. They don't toss them into the back of cars. It, you know, never mind, okay, the Ark of the Covenant in this, I understand at the end they make it very clear that this is a supernatural artifact. Because they have to, because when they take it out of the box and it's in absolutely perfect <laughs> condition, the Ark, he even says, was a wooden box plated with gold. Wood doesn't last 3,000 years. Not dead wood. Mm, it would no. have crumbled. Yeah. A couple of, uh, of rebuttals to your earlier points. First, yeah. I would like to quote Calvin, who said, Archaeologists have the most mind-numbing job on the planet. <laughs> <laughs> but also, if you look at the, quote, archaeology of the 20s and 30s, the real 20s and 30s, there was a little bit more, let's break in and see what's behind that hi that hidden door or panel than there was paint there was some of both but there was a yeah. lot less there was more room for swashbuckling shall we say um which is one of the reasons that some stuff like even the the golden mask of tutankhamun apparently they tried to polish it and the cloth they used caused irreversible scratching to it um basically don't look at it marion just don't look <laughs> so yeah i can see why archaeologists are like cool they're paying attention to this. oh dear gods no don't do that <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then of course, I would also like to say I was—I've been a teacher, and no student <laughs> ever wrote anything on their eyelids to blink at me in my classes. Did you ever get an apple? No. Oh well, there you go. Um, so then, uh, our, our two buddies from uh, the State Department or whatever show up, and it's interesting because they're really worried about um, Mr. Hitler, Mr. Hilter, in 1936, <laughs> which the United States at least popularly was not real interested in Mr. Hilter in 1936. Oh, no, but no, no, I'm sorry. I the people weren't. The people weren't. Popular no. culture wasn't. The average person didn't really know. The U.S. government was interested as hell. So they show so up. They were they were watching this guy come you know, take an absolutely broken, destroyed country and turning it into what could have been, a, what was in fact a major world power. And they was not doing it by nice means. My feeling is that they'd be less interested in the Ark of the Covenant, but... Mm -hmm. Anyway, it wouldn't make a good film yeah. if they weren't. So these two guys show up, and they start talking about the 15, uh, 10 commandments. <laughs> Oops. Um, and they talk about this city's Tanis, which was destroyed in a uh, sandstorm that lasted a year. Sandstorm. Sandstorm. Interestingly, they know a very lot about the staff of Ra and the headpiece, even though this city was covered in sand for a year, 2,000 years ago. Hey, wait, whatever. <laughs> Um, yeah, so then we get they, to go. We get to go to Nepal, which is fun. They, it is. By the way, it allegedly again. I'm not sure how accurate this is. Hitler was apparently obsessed with the occult and with collecting occult relics. Well, we know what he was really interested in was the Spear of Longinus because right. that was right. detailed in the book Casca, the Internal Warrior. Yes, and <sighs> also uh, we see some of that in I think Hell, one of the Hellboy. Uh, yeah. Men's Adventure. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Men's Adventure. And I will not admit to having read Casca, two of Casca's books three or four times. I will not admit to it. Uh, I will not admit to having read almost a dozen of them. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
I will say one of the things that works also really well besides the music in this is because of the time period and the overlay map where we see where we're going. And I know this is something they took from the old serials and stuff. This was nothing new. But because of things like that, these foreign locations still feel exotic, which is actually really cool. Yeah. Whereas opposed and to, I, yeah. I could just go there. <laughs> the other thing, and they downplay this, and I get why they do it. I, perf I completely understand. I looked this up. Do you know how long... In 1936, it would have taken to get from San Francisco to Nepal. Oh, dear God's days. 36 hours. Okay. A day and a half in that little, whatever the hell kind of plane that was. That was a Pan Am I Clipper, mean, and it wouldn't have gone all the way to Nepal. It probably just sort of landed no, in the mainland. Had, had to, they showed it had to stop at a bunch of other places. Well, luckily, Nepal yeah. International was open by then. <laughs> I, I, I like the way we're introduced to Marion. You know, she's not some shrinking violet. She's sitting there having a drinking cup. Yeah, excuse me. She doesn't start out as a damsel in distress. It's really kind of annoying. So, yes. But she's in there, you know, drinking these hard-ass Nepalese, surprisingly Caucasian-looking Nepalese <laughs> guy under the table. I drinking, think it's Otis. Oh, oh, yeah, drinking Otis under the table, and they're... Sitting there doing shots of uh, water, snow rum. I don't know. Yeah, I I initially liked Marion. Um, I think Karen Allen does a great job the whole way through the film. She's at least always feisty, but she turns to a damsel damned fast. Yeah, and that's a shame. I would really much rather have seen her on an equal basis. The only explanation I can give is it's 1981, and this film is made by two old white dudes. Yeah. Yeah. Which is and a shame. It's set in 1936, and it's a callback to those older movies where that's what the women were. They were people to be rescued or pursued. But i got to okay. say, instead of looking down on this movie for that and saying you shouldn't watch this film because it, it enforces... But just be uh, aware of it. Just be aware of it and say, don't make movies like that anymore. It's like, leave it. Radiators is fine. We get it. Be aware. And say, now, in our next film, turns out... She's the one who shoots, and the guy is the one who knows everything. He's the nerdy guy or something. That Do something like that. We'd be interested. Yeah. Um, she does seem to um, recover from said booze real yeah. quick. Yeah, she sobers up with remarkable speed. Yeah. Of course, I don't know, you get Nazis walking through your front door, you're going to sober up pretty fast. Yeah. Uh, that's right. Then we meet, of course, hello, ich bin Herr Evil. <laughs> Apparently he was chosen partially because he looked like Peter Lorre. I guess he had that same kind of round head. And I think round he looks more like a codfish, but whatever. Yeah. Um, again, a throwback to the older movies because this is like, hello, I cannot be anything but a bad guy. There's, yeah, there's no, I'm just, you know, help find me, find me a schnauzer to strangle. It's, <laughs> I'm just here to be, be vile. Yeah, and he's great. He's so creepy. Yeah, let's let's talk about the acting because we haven't done so. Harrison Ford, one yeah. of his signature roles. Yep. The thing he brings to this role, and I don't know how much of it was him and how much of it was his continuous accidents on set <laughs> or the directors, I really, really appreciate a hero who gets hurt. Yeah. He goes through the yeah. ringer. Now, admittedly, a lot of the stuff that happens to him and to Marion, by the way, should have killed him. Not when he's not like it, it not like it would in later films. 
No, in later, yeah, we're not in later films like John Wick, where he you know, falls off a three-story building like that didn't hurt. Oh, I meant even later Indy Jones films. Oh, yeah, um, but uh, in this, yeah, he's bruised, he's bleeding, he's in pain, he's tired. Yep. And he never actually like the fight with the big guy in the plane. You, you're just sitting there going, no. Yeah. And the, you're lucky that that propeller came by. And he's on yeah. the ground when it happens. He got his his face hit barely bad. He knew he he knew he wasn't going to win. You could tell there was no way he was going to win that fight fairly. And to why me, he keeps trying to get his gun back. And to which me, is that makes him more reasonable. That makes him more heroic, right? He yeah. can't just do everything. If yeah, you can do everything and just do the Shatner wipe with your thumb. Well, then nobody was ever in any danger, were they? It's much, you can't really sympathize it with an invincible character, and he is very he's very human. Yeah, yeah, that's that's nice. Now they take it a little far in some films, such as apparently Chris Pine just has a punchable face. Every <laughs> single Star Trek film, at least once, sometimes three times, they yeah. beat the crap out of Captain Kirk. And I will say, Chris Pine coughs better than anybody I know. But I just that's when it's taken too far. Um, and then, of course, suddenly they're okay and they get the final whatever. Here, with Indy, it's never... I mean, we know he's going to win because of the music and everything, but he's not going to come out looking all that great. No. <laughs> I like that. I like that. Yeah, and, I like, and Karen Allen was terrific as Marion, you know, for when she was actually given things to do. The confusing one to me is Belloc, yeah. who, first of all, looks a lot better than he did in the Corbomite Maneuver. Uh, no, that's Baylock. Oh, oops. Or wait, is I it Baywatch? I, I thought Clint <laughs> Howard grew up, grew up that not to look like that. But. That was a puppet. Okay. Ah, yes. <sighs> anyway. <laughs> yes. But uh, it's like, for most of it, he's like, ah, yes. Uh, uh, he even does the villain thing. We're not so different, you and I. But, but, huh? like, wow, even in 1981, that was a cliche. Yeah. I, and But... Then there's the scene with Mar where he's getting drunk with Marion, and his attachment to her, and it's like this doesn't fit. See, it's, I, it, it makes him more interesting, but it it's also kind of muddies the character a little bit, because he starts out. I'm just like I'm willing to do absolutely anything to get these things and to sell them, and I'm evil and I'm willing to work with Nazis. And but I'm, I won't do that. <laughs> And I won't do that. Yes, I, I am the meatloaf of archaeologists. <laughs> <laughs> the meatloaf of archaeology. You heard it here yes. first. The meatloaf, yep. the of, meatloaf of archaeologists. Yes. The golden again, idol by the, the dashboard light. The performance is terrific. I mean, I think it, he does it really well. I'm going to disagree. I my hmm? feeling is that with Belloc. His whole thing is he's actually not as good an archaeologist as Jones is. And by archaeologist, you remember there's quotes there. Yeah. My feeling is, is that he's more willing to stand on the backs of other people's work as yeah. long as his name gets elevated. And I think it's a professional thing. I didn't have any problem with him and Marion because I never got the impression that he actually was really in love with her. He just was lonely. And he felt like he deserved that. Yes, he wanted he to protect her. her I, because I figured he, th he saw her as another prize. He saw her as something he could take away from Jones. Right. And I, so I don't really... I like Belloc because I think that one of the things I like about him is he's not really as competent as he thinks he is. And he's also not as in control as he thinks he is. Because the Nazis are, mm -hmm. perhaps, Dr. Belloc, we will take your suggestion, or perhaps we will take this long pole and shove it up your bum. Um, <laughs> you remember that line. Um, uh, oh, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, the side characters, John Rhys Davies. Yeah. I love John Rhys Davies. He doesn't convince me. He, the idea that he's supposed to be Egyptian <laughs> is just silly. But yeah, I. I mean, it's just he's as bad as just about anybody else who's tried to pre- pretend they're being an Egyptian. But fine, maybe he just grew yeah. up there. I don't know. It's John Rhys Davies. He's fun. He's maybe he maybe he's an English expat. I don't. Yeah, it's not clear. But he's a lot of fun. I love the fact that he goes around singing Gilbert and Sullivan. I like Marcus Brody. He's got a tiny part in this. He'll show up more in the other two films. Actually, it is the only two. I think he died before the, they could yeah. think of making a fourth one. Thank God they never right. did it. Um, yes, he, he won't be in the fifth one. Yeah, no. They're older. You mean a fourth one if they make one. Yeah, yes, yes. Um, he's got that definite... I really should just be in an administration kind of feel. Yeah. Like, oh, if we're only five years younger, it's like, try 20. <laughs> yeah. Try, try if you were only 20 years younger and a different person. Yeah. Because he just, we, we see that in, I think it's the third movie, uh, where, you know, Jones is say, yes, he'll disappear into the crowds. He speaks 20 languages. You'll never find him. He's the consummate uh, Marcus uh, once got lost in his own museum. Yeah, but he's you see him walking around uh, Cairo in this white suit going, Hello, does anybody speak English? It's like, yes, I absolutely believe that. <laughs> yeah, so the acting is fine in this. In some cases, you know, again, I I would say I like Indy Jones better than I like Han Solo. Ooh, am I gonna yeah. get skewered for that? But I don't know. I, I think he's a he's a more interesting character. I think he's a more rounded character. I think there's more to him. Than Han Solo. Well, we get to, we, technically, he's also the center of the film. Han Solo is more of a peripheral character. Yeah. Uh, at, le- at least in the first movie. Actually, in all of them. But Hey, kind of reminds me he, of our poll question, just saying. Yeah, yeah he, he's, he, Han Solo doesn't get much character development. Indy doesn't get a lot, but he we do get some. And we get the feeling that we, we know what he believes in. He loves this stuff. He believes in archaeology, he be, or his version of it, which is, let's face it, Let's go to foreign countries and take their things. <laughs> he also, when given a chance to choose between the Ark and Marion, yeah, chooses yeah. the Ark. <laughs> yeah, that's a little awkward. I believe it when it happens, but it's like, oh, that's kind of got a sting. Because at this point, nobody knows what the Ark actually is. Luckily, that'll be clarified. <clears throat> we'll get to that yeah, in a second. Yeah, they don't, yeah, yeah, they don't really... Uh, there's, but, no, there's nothing ambivalent about it. There's nothing, but uh, he leaves her in the hands of his arch nemesis and the Nazis. Yeah, what does yeah, he twice. think is going to happen? Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, when he le- when he finds her tied up in the tent and goes, oh, gee, if I let you go, they'll know I'm around. I'm going to leave you tied up here. Despite the fact that the Nazi chief torturer, is about, Mr. Scarhand, is about to come in. <laughs> Speaking of which, did you fall for that whole triple staff nunchuck thing? Every time. Every time. <laughs> when he takes out... Oh, what, I remember thinking, wait a minute, that's a really weird thing to torture someone. Oh, it's a friggin' coat hanger. <laughs> well, I was totally like, got me. You don't know kung fu. <laughs> Because that's what it looks like. If you've ever yes. seen like a Bruce Lee movie or, or a Hong like Kong a trip, action film, irons. yeah. Um, so there's that one problem, and I, you know, I didn't ever thought about it much, but of course I haven't watched watched this film in a long time, and I'm like, oh, he chose the Ark over Marion. Hmm. And I could understand it if it was really for altruistic reasons, but again, we he doesn't know what it's for. He just doesn't want the Nazis to have it, whatever well, it is. But he doesn't want to destroy it. He can't bring himself to because well late, Belloc, later on, well Bella yeah as Belloc tells him you know this is 
we're just passing through history. This is history, and he, he can't do it. He can't. She can't blow the thing up. Yeah. I'm also, you know, I think it might also be because he's a friggin' archaeologist. How does he know how to use a Nazi rocket launcher? I mean, it probably just has a button. <laughs> yeah. Um, I love the fact that Marion gets a butt rose because that's a very important part of the film. Gets a what? A butt rose. She has that dress, rose. that dress that oh. Belloc has for her has a butt rose. The butt oh, rose is a right. symbol, as you well know. No, I'm just making that up. <laughs> um, then we finally get to the actual stupid thing. We get our Spielberg clouds, TM. Oh, we do. We have to have our Spielberg clouds. And then they open the box and the Dementors fly out. <laughs> well, now wait, before we even get that far, when they find uh, yeah. the box, there's this stone lid. Yeah, must I weigh about tons. That. Yes, and Indy and uh, John Reese davis whose character's name I can never remember. Sala. Sala. They pick it up and toss it off. Yeah. Um, I'm gonna no, go they with, don't. I'm going to go with no. No, they don't. We also, and I skipped over this part, the damn staff's too long. They talk about mm -hmm. how it's supposed to be, oh, about 72 oh. inches. Oh, but take back one kadam to honor the god. Yeah, uh, that would be about a five feet. Was, oh, yeah, and it's taller than he is. Well, that puts uh, Indy at about 4'8". <laughs> Well, he's, <laughs> he's he's sort of Tom Cruising it there. Ooh, that was mean. Sorry, Nasty sorry, mean. Mr. sorry, sorry, Mr. Cruz. Usually, he does that. You know, there's only a couple of things in the movie. There's a lot of you know things that technically are ridiculous. Yes, but I I'm fine with all except two. Okay. One, how does he stay on top of the submarine? Because that means the submarine. Doesn't because the, you know the, the they get the submarine shows up the Nazis grab the ark and they head off to Greece Gilli Gilligan's Island and Indy gets on top of the sub and goes with them because apparently the Nazi subs which are not supposed to be traveling in Mediterranean waters traveled the whole way non submerged. All right. So first off, generally, unless they were in combat, for the most part they didn't submerge because it saved a lot of fuel. It's a lot they use a lot more fuel being submerged than they do being above the water. So there's that. Um as opposed to the Nazis not being in Mediterranean at that point, I don't know if that's that was a thing because they hadn't really done their big stuff. Well the war, yet. the war no war had not broken out, but I don't believe they had uh, any kind I don't think they had any treaties for naval travel and also they're trying to be secret about this they don't want anyone to know where they are well they don't want to know know what this submarine is doing on this little obscure island in Greece I think they would have gone in underwater at least they would have gone in a couple of miles off the idea was that it was uninhabited um, so I'll give them that I don't have so much of a problem with that I don't know who would be flying around looking anyway um, the issue I have is, uh, yes, we have to take this back to the Fjord. Instead of going here from Egypt north over here to Germany, we are going to go east to Greece so we can do this ceremony in Greece because that's where this has to happen. Because yeah, why? My other, that's one of my problems is, why did they have to do... I understand why Belloc wanted to do the ceremony. Right. Why did the Nazis just go, oh, you want to verify it? Give me that it's really in there? Give me a crowbar. Well, if it is what it's supposed to be, and I do want to talk about that before we get to our questions, yeah. then I wouldn't want to be the first one to open it either. You'd want to either save that for your Fuhrer, or you'd want to have an expendable, the French guy, <laughs> do it. So yeah. I don't have nice. a problem yeah, with that. 
you would why would you go to this island like you say you would go to some <laughs> like nazi research facility or an aircraft hangar and open it up there or elba uh yeah, yeah. so the, yeah. the ark at one point belloc says it's a radio for talking to god and um just what would you like to say to him you silly frenchman hello <laughs> is this thing on i mean what's the plan here yeah, I don't know. I mean, again, the I, I understood more when uh, Marcus is saying any army that travels with the Ark in front of it is invincible. Like, okay. But, How? Yeah, what? what for, well, because it shoots out rays of, of fire or something. But it only does that, well, we don't know this. So here's the thing. They open the Ark. What's yeah. supposed to be in there? The fragments of the Ten Command of the Tablets, a staff, and a bowl. What's actually in there? That most terrible of things, if you're Anakin Skywalker, <laughs> sand. So because it's coarse and gritty and gets everywhere. <laughs> Goddamn force-made Vaseline. Um, <laughs> so it's not. Does that mean this isn't the Ark? I mean, uh, the rest of the movie would prove that not to be the case. But uh, if the stuff's not actually in there, what's it for? Exactly. Uh, <laughs> that was my answer. <laughs> I mean, sure, you open know. it up. It's a friggin' box. That's it. It, it was because the Ark of the Covenant is not made by God. That was made by the Israelites. It's right. Not so, it, it's a holy relic because of what it carried. Right. Uh, which apparently, is I don't know, gives off holy radiation and chain, <laughs> mutates it. And I don't know. Yeah. And makes for a smashing film. But I, I do. It, well, the thing that gets me is I can't help noticing that we're an hour and a half into the movie about this Hebrew art, religious artifact before anyone says the word Jewish. Yeah. Nobody mentions that. Yeah. Oh, by yeah, the way. Is, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the, the, the Ark is really not only undefined, but if you want to look at it this way, it's not even the right Ark because there's nothing in it that's supposed to be in it. It's sand. So, and here's the thing, even if it did have those pieces in it, now what? What are you going to do? Are you going to glue them back together and make the original 15 to uh, 10 commandments? <laughs> I don't know. It's that part of it was just sort of weird. But yeah. we do have some questions before we get to the finality of this episode. Because we like to do the talking points. If you don't like them, write us at us at maxmikemovies.com. But till then, Max, was this film, would you say, in any way a, I don't know, standout for 1981? <laughs> I think it was just pretty much blended into the background. Nobody really noticed it. Oh, yeah. Thank God. This was one of the biggest movies of the year. $390 million. Yeah. This was huge. And it yeah. influenced movies for years to come. Yeah. No, no. This was, this, was a, this was a tentpole movie. This was an event. Yeah. And I'm sure I saw it many times in the theater, too. It was, yep. it was not quite the same as Star Wars, where it's like, oh, we're bored this summer. Let's just go again. But... It's just fun. It was just fun. People loved it. And yep. Yeah. Did this film significantly affect films that came after it? Uh, yeah. <laughs> well, how never would you say it did? The, Never mind all the ripoffs and the sequels. <laughs> uh, it, brought, it kind of revived the whole adventure movie franchise. You had a lot more like people going out into the jungles and deserts and looking for lost things. I mean... I mean, I'm pretty sure you could draw a direct line from this to National Treasure. Yeah, or Ancient Aliens. Or, or, or Ancient Aliens, or you know, the Da Vinci Code, or any of that. Sure. Yeah, yeah. the whole and yeah, the whole idea of making exploration cool again, and uh, 
try to make archaeology look cool. And sexy. Does this movie reflect 1981? Well, that's a little trickier. That's, uh... I'm going to say no. (laughs) It's 1936. It doesn't in any way... There's no political stuff going on. Interestingly, if you want to bring up Nazis, it kind of reflects something a little more closer to the current day. Um, (laughs) But I know. And it's not trying to. No, it's not trying to be a reflection of the current day. I mean, in some ways... It was a reflection of the rise of the blockbuster, which had really started with Jaws, not that only a few years before. Yep. It was the idea of you know comparatively big budget movie, and uh, you know a lot of mark a lot of uh, uh, toys and but apparently this movie did wonders for the fedora industry. <laughs> yeah, men wore hats again. Yeah, for a little while. Um, so. Uh, kind of, but I don't think it's a major cultural uh, indicator. No, I don't think it really does. Uh, the whole blockbuster thing was basically Hollywood going, wait, we, we can make a movie and everyone will literally see it? Oh, let's do that. <laughs> um, yeah. And it's, you know, again, I don't think it's supposed to, so that's fine. Uh, we've gone through our notes. We've actually gone a little bit, uh, a little bit late, not too late, late. But uh, do you have any more points before we get to the roundup? Um... No, that's uh, most of it. Uh, I think we think we've covered the other stuff. I yeah, okay. yeah, I'm good. The roundup. So Max. Yeah. We know you saw it. And you loved it back in the day. I. Yeah. This is one of those films that it's on in the background. I let it play. I look over. Up oh, there's the statue. Up oh, there's the staff of Ra. You know. I know where all the chapter marks are. I haven't sat and watched it in a very long time and watched yeah. watched it. So what did you think after having loved it as a child and trusted it as a mother? What do you <laughs> <laughs> what do you think now of the uh, Raiders of the Lost Ark? I think it holds up. I think it's still a lot of fun. There are more problematic elements. There are things that I notice more and that kind that are a little more bothersome now that we know more things like this film for one thing is incredibly racist. And the portrayal of anybody who isn't white is is pretty awkward. Oh, those most, backward foreigners! <laughs> yeah, most you know most of the people in Egypt they're just sort of they don't even get most dialogue. It's all just they're all like ah, 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 ah. oh look here here are some natives with and what are they using? Of course, blowguns, and that, so that's a bit much. And the whole fact that you know yes, this belongs in a museum. You mean a museum in another country, yeah. in, in America. You don't mean, oh, let's get put this put these fabulous artifacts in the countries of origin. The people who actually made them shouldn't have them. No, Americans should have them because we know what to do with them. Mm. Which is put them in a crate and hide them in a warehouse. Well, in this case, it's probably a good idea. Well, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but something like that, the final shot of the uh, arc being crated up and pushed into this where I'd still I think is really effective it, it's it, that whole yeah, who's looking after top men <laughs> that yeah, really that I, really works I think it was Penry the uh, mild-mannered janitor who's looking after it <laughs> could be <laughs> actually and, he looked like the janitor muppet but whatever George <laughs> I think his name is Beauregard I think Bo- you mean. no Beauregard's a big he's a big dogish sort of thing there's actually yeah. a guy Who's oh, a janitor? Oh. I think his name's George, but anyway. All right, and uh, the the whole the sequence with the big swordsman that Indy shoots, even if even though it's become in a lot of ways a cliche, and they sort of play off it in the second movie, 
it still is cool. It still is a great moment. Yeah. I, what about you? So I, as I said, I've seen this many, many times, or at least I've been aware of it being on in the background many, many times. And, you know, we sit and we, I like to take a little bit more critical eye when watching films. Cause it's like, I haven't seen them this way since I saw it in a theater and it's hard to write notes in the dark. Let me tell you, um, okay. I've done it, but it's hard. There's just those little nitpicky things like, and some of them they fixed. So originally when he's in the well of souls and the Cobra lurches up, you can see the reflection of the glass. Well, they got yeah. rid of it. <laughs> Good for them. Yep. Um, I really wish that they could, you could fix the stupid sandbag because that drives me much. And the stupid staff being too long. It's like, this, like you tell us how big it's supposed to be before you take off one kadam. And if it was only six feet then, well, why is it so much taller than any Jones now? I don't know. Whatever. It's minor things. The film is still fun. And that's what I like about it. And what I liked about the original Star Wars movie, it didn't take itself too seriously. It's just fun. It's they a took, lot of fun. They took all the elements from those old serials, those old adventure films. They took the good ones, and then they got rid of the stuff we didn't need. Again, as Max said, there's a bit of racism here. At least they, for me, the quote-unquote natives aren't made to look stupid they're just not. They're just meant as window dressing. They're not they're really not treated meant, with they're respect. They're not people. No. They're, they're basically props. And of course, all the Egyptians, they show them up close with bad teeth and stuff, and it's like, oh, I see, because nobody in Egypt knows what a toothbrush is, sure, whatever. And um, most of them are, are beggars or merchants. And all the it. Nepalese are drunk, because apparently yeah. that's, you know. And Marion, a character who deserved a lot better, and quite honestly should have been right by him the entire time, not in a dress they relegate to the damsel status she gets tied up pretty quick and she pretty much stays there for most of the film and she just sits there and makes goo goo eyes at indy which quite honestly i think i'd slap him more than once she, <laughs> and she does she, and she yeah she does she punches him but then it's times. like oh indy and it's like yeah. uh, no just no um if 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 you want to read stuff into it you can but it's just there to be fun. And I think it is. It's still fun. Yeah. Uh, most of the effects are fine. And I'm along for the ride. And thankfully, they only made two sequels. One of which was not so great. The other which was terrific. <laughs> and they let it go. And Harrison Ford is now done with that whole okay. franchise. Oh, Phew. dear. But Don't tell him. <laughs> you ruined my childhood. <laughs> um, but yeah. So uh, that's it for this week. But uh, we have our poll question we'd like to remind yes. you of. Because... That's tell this us. thing we do. Tell us what it is. So we have a new poll question for this week. Um, we would like to know, what second banana, side character, or flunky do you wish got their own movie? Um, you can tell us in the usual ways, which includes emailing us, and hey, extra ten times bunky bucks, bumpy bucks, bumpy bucks, for <laughs> emailing us at us at maxmikemovies.com, which suggests, and it's true, we have a website where you will find all of our other episodes and where you can leave comments. Thanks to Ned and Vince, who seem to take advantage of that fairly often. You will also get 10 times go, bumpy bucks. Yep. Uh, and you'll be the first to get the new Bumpy Hut catalog as soon as it's made. Um, Never. Then uh, we have social media, which would be Facebook and Twitter, where you can find us at Max Mike Movies. You can also uh, know that, oh, you can find us on all the podcast apps of your choice, and even some that are not of our choice, we're Max Mike Movies. But, we are continuing our series, our brand new series called, so this is 1981, or no, that sure was 1981, with yep. another movie that Max will pick. Max, Yes. what movie are you going to pick from 1981? Well, I'm picking one... Uh, 
I always thought was as popular, but I don't think it was as much of a blockbuster. Because uh, it confu- it's kind of confusing sometimes. Uh, we are going to be watching Time Bandits. A Lincoln Time Cop? What? <laughs> no, no, Time Bandits. Starring a bunch of people, but mostly David Rappaport. Uh, time Bandits. People stealing time from the underprivileged? Yes, yes. No, actually, ah. they're stealing time from the rich and giving it to the poor. Ah, so and Robin then, of course, time. there was a sequel... Smokey and the Time Bandits. <laughs> have a baby. <laughs> so if you want to see Smokey and the Time Bandits have a baby, tune in next week to this very same channel. This has been a co-production of The Voice of Max and The Movie Wrench. This episode brought to you by Pleasant Pucker.